0: Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Downbacker Podcast. Uh, today we have a very special guest, uh, the offensive coordinator at Middle Tennessee, uh, Brent Danbury. Coach, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing fantastic today. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing good, Coach. I'm doing good. Um, thank you for coming on. Um, I have about eight thousand questions, so I'll try to condense them as much as I can. Um, but I mean, I, I mean, the, the the easy question is, how, how's your transition to Middle Tennessee been, Coach?
1: And it's been fantastic. I got a, a head coach that um, really lets me do what I need to do. Um, he, he, he's great. He's a great communicator. He's been here a long time. And then my offensive staff is, is exactly what I need. Um, you got a, a lot of good, young, hungry guys that are real knowledgeable, uh, really good communicators. They do a great job of, of – uh, Trans, transferring the information to the players on a daily basis, high energy, passionate guys. And then we got a hungry group of players and, and all that's been, uh, when you add all that up, that's a good first couple of months here.
0: I, I normally, I ask my, my guests at this point, like their background, but I think I think most of, of football coaching understands your background at this point, so I'm, I'm going to kind of skip that phase. But I do want to hit on something. I know you've kind of hit on various points in other places, but I kind of want to ask you about it. I mean, you have, you have a bachelor's in math. Um, and I was wondering, how has that helped you, especially as an offensive coordinator, kind of, has it caused you to maybe look at things differently than a normal, say, somebody who's got like a communications degree or a history degree or whatever? Do you think it, it caused you to approach offense a little d- differently than most people?
1: I think I'm, I naturally see the world differently than, than normal people because... Uh, I was really good at geometry. I was really good at equations. So I see the world in shapes. I see the world in formulas. So when when I put together uh, a formula for an RPO, it's because of that math degree. I'm a step by step. I'm a. If you remember in geometry, we all had to do these things we hated called proofs, which were if then statements, and we all had to write it all out in a long form, and we hated them. We all hated them. You you, you loved them. There's something wrong with you. But I I. I come up with RPOs, I come up with plays, I design things based off of if-then statements. Um, so that's really helped me out. But I, I'm also, um, I'm not like Rain Man type, but I see percentages in my head. I okay. see things on game day where, when I cross this yard line of the field there, this percentage of lift. So um, the numbers are, are kind of a big deal to me and, and what's got me here, to be honest with you.
0: Okay, and, and like, now you were, you were a high school coach before you entered college. Um, has has and, and I, I listened to you la- last week with Coach Broncos talk about power, counter, inside zone, and buck were kind of like your more, four main pl- run, run game plays. W- were those kind of your main four before you started working for Coach Malzon, or was that a very heavy influence of him, or was it kind of a combination of both?
1: So, when I was a high school coach, um, I did a lot of what I did in college, which was we were I, we were an I team when I was a college player. We did, uh, you know, inside zone. We did a little bit of power. We did a little bit of ISO. Uh, and that was our big thing that we hung our hat on. And then the two years I spent with Coach Miles on really taught me, uh, the biggest thing it taught me is getting really good at those four things um, because I try to dabble in a bunch of different things. We ran midline a little bit, ran mid, uh, veer a little bit. We ran trap a little bit. And what I figured out is I was doing too much. And my, my O-line was not as, as good as we needed to be because – Um, we we tried to do too many schemes. And and when I went to Auburn, we ran those four schemes for two years. And and if you watch him at at Central Florida this year, I bet those four schemes are what he's going to hang his hat on too. Now, every now and then you'll see him run GT or you'll see him run um, another type of system. But he's going to hang his hat on those four things. And um, it it really taught me to do it my two years there.
0: Okay. Now, you, you mentioned midline and veer there. How much did running those style option plays turn into an influence for you for the RPO, which is just a, a, a more up-to-date version, really, of those in one sense?
1: So, this give you a little, little history. My two greatest mentors and influencers in my life were my dad, who was a 42-year high school offensive line coach. And Gus Malzahn. I've already hit the Gus Malzon side. The other side of it is I. I played for my dad, and when I was a high school quarterback, we ran midline, we ran trap, we ran veer, uh, and that was our system. Um, I, unfortunately, I was not uh, one of those four, six, 40 guys playing <laughs> in that, uh, that offense. Um, but I was reading somebody, and i had taken that exact same philosophy. And now we're reading somebody still. We're just doing it out of the gun, and we're not reading defensive ends. The entire game. We're reading three texts for the midline. I'm reading apex players. I'm reading blitzers. I'm reading third level players. So um, at the end of the day, that heavy influence that I had at the dinner table, as my dad was teaching me what beer option was, has led into what I do now.
0: Okay, um, and then like I'm, I'm bouncing around a lot. I got I got like I said I got I literally have coach sticky notes from stuff I I I, I looked at earlier, um, but. I mean, a couple of different w- ways is one, um, and, and we, I mean, you took over an offense midseason, and, and what is that, that experience like of, okay, there's changes been made. That's outside of my control there. Okay. How do I write the shit? Because let's be honest, like when you took over the, the Kansas offense midseason, you guys went humming along and you were very efficient the rest of the season, very productive, um, and scored a lot of points and massed a lot of yards. What is that process of, okay, I'm now charged. what do I got to do? You
1: know, one of the the things that I had to, uh, on a Sunday night, when you get that call that you're taking over, uh, you have to quickly figure out, all right, I had a bye week, which was, that was good at least. But I had to figure out, all right, what needs to stay, what things can we make better, and what changes can be made in a short period of time. And what needed to stay was communication. Um, as bad as I didn't like our communication, we were old school. We were kind of the NFL base where we told everybody on the field what to do. Um, and, and I knew that I could not change the communication in a week and a half period where we went through our tempo one word calls that, that much, or our kids would have been confused. Um, so we stayed with the communication. Now we, um, tweaked some things in the read game where we made things more, uh, concise, more, um, specific that that helped our quarterback a little bit. Now, the thing that I benefited from is I had a five-year quarterback that was started. Um, instead of going in with a freshman, like I had to try to do this past year, um, I had a quarterback that, that had, I think, nine different position coaches in his life. He ran the Air Raid. He ran all these different systems. So I went into him and I said, all right, what do you feel comfortable with? You've played a lot of football. You've ran a lot of different concepts. So we kind of tried to mold it Based off of what he knew, okay. and what he felt great with, and that's what we went into the game with. Now I put a couple of new things in. We probably installed ten new plays during that bye week, um, but at the end of the day, we just cleaned up the process more than anything. But knew that we couldn't mess with the communication side of things.
0: Now, now the same you, and then after that, you didn't really get a full off season because obviously we've had COVID. And that, that hampered a lot of people, anybody that took a new job that took, I mean, to where you want to put in your new system for a whole offseason, you lost spring ball. And let's be honest, our practices were vastly altered for high school and colleges and what we were able to do and how much contact and t- t- meetings and zoom, how much did that affect you going forwards going into this year is okay. These are things i found I can do better here. These are things I could teach better this way, or these things are okay. I need this practice time for this. What it what? What have you kind of learned from this this year of so or so of COVID?
1: You know, I don't want to be the guy that ever is an excuse guy. So you know, we're a constantly preaching toughness and grit to our players. We're constantly preaching uh, how we attack sudden change, and the whole world got sudden change in, in March, and we're preparing for spring ball. And I'm finally starting meetings with an offense where. We really just talked day one install. And we hadn't went out and truly walked it. We are hoping to get to spring ball. And I'm now going to fully implement a brand new offense to a group of players that's never seen it before And COVID hits. And and now you're trying to install through Zoom. And, and it is great technology, as we're doing right now. But the problem with Zoom is I don't get to look you eye to eye. The problem with Zoom is... The in-person learning is so much different than the the online learning. And then you're not getting physical reps. When you lose out on a whole spring ball, um, and we play a Coastal Carolina team game one that got an entire spring ball in. So they installed everything going into three years into a system. I'm trying to put a new system in and then come to find out, we, we, the quarterback we recruit the freshman quarterback we recruited, has is, is got a lot of talent. And we decide um, that we're going to keep him off the shelf game one, and our starter gets hurt. So then game two, we're throwing a 17 year old that just arrived on the campus in the COVID offseason where the first time I talked football with him was mid July. And uh, y- you learn quickly that you better slow things down as much as you can you better figure out what your, your young kids can do. And that's probably something that I've got to continue to be better at is instead of sticking through the system, I need to figure out what he can do. Yeah. And, and, that's kind of a high school philosophy is, is mold your system around the players you've got. And, um, and then when you find out a couple games during the year that your starters got COVID and he knocked out this other kid, he knocked out this other kid and and you find out usually on a Thursday afternoon, you game plan for those kids, and it. it I don't think we'll ever see another year quite like this past year, and it, and it made us all better. It made it, it made our players a little bit tougher, made us a little bit tougher. But man, it's been a, a crazy ride this last twelve months.
0: Now, I, now I kind of want to get into kind of a couple other things, and some of this is piggybacking off of listening to you talk for your clinic the other day, and now. Um, Cause you you I mean you do a lot of good things and and I and I really loved your clinic with Coach Bronkhorst which people who are listening to this if they want to see that that's on Bronkhorst's YouTube channel it's a fantastic clinic, um, but from a you you incorporate pre and post snap reads into your RPO offense and all your pre snap stuff is is, is 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 as you said in your clinic you better be, marry it or don't throw it and and I and I love that statement how. How did you come to that point, or what was the kind of genesis? Did you you get a lot of that stuff from when you worked with Coach Malzahn? Um, And then how, from an install point of view, how do you approach the pre-snap and the post-snap with your quarterbacks?
1: So for for me, uh, Coach Malzahn was not a big RPO guy. He was a zone read guy that had bubble answers or spot screen answers. Um, I am more of the pre- and post-snap guy because when I took the Malzahn offense to Arkansas Tech and we completely sold out to the Malzahn system, what ended up happening is we saw those Apex players get tighter and tighter and tighter. And from my, my time being with him, we just he would tighten his receivers down. Hey, if your guy you're blocking is tight, you need to get tighter. So what what we kind of played with in the spring and in an offseason season. Because I had, I got blessed at Arkansas Tech with a kid that was a double, uh, double major, one being engineering, um, and he is now in med school. And I had a rocket scientist basically playing quarterback for me. <laughs> I was able to play around in a spring ball. Yeah. I said, you know what, let's lock these receivers into this split. And if he can't block him, you fix it. And that's originally how we taught him. And then we just edited and just cleaned it up more and more through these last four years. Where we said, All right. Instead of teaching it that way, we're going to teach it as it's a D-gap field read. If the D-gap player is too tight, you fix it. If not, I'm going to read the D-gap player in the boundary. So um, we weren't we, we didn't teach gaps that first year. I ended up doing uh, some high school coaches came up, taught with us, and I happened to just use that word one time, the D-gap player, and it clicked in my head. Wow, that I like how that sounds. I like how we can teach that. And, and we fell into that. So over the last four years, we've kind of fell into better coaching and fell into better coaching cues okay. and language um, that we can kind of teach off of.
0: Now, for, for, and you kind of mentioned your clinic. You show your your quarterback the gaps, and that's how you initially teach it and kind of break into that. How do you then go on the field and, and consistently practice that? It is, is you have a quality control coach standing out there? Okay, you read it, throw it? Um and c- combined with the receivers and practice, how how from a on the field practice standpoint, how do you rep that consistently going before you get into the team aspect?
1: So for me, if I need to do any indie drills, my indie drills are during special teams because your quarterback should not be involved in special teams usually unless they're a holder maybe for field goal. So the 15 minutes of special teams is my 15 minutes of drill work. During practice indie time, I'm throwing to somebody. I don't use my indie time in practice to just kind of waste that opportunity to be throwing to somebody. So if we get 25 minutes of indie, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw to the receivers for 10 to 15 of those. I'm gonna throw to the tight ends, fullbacks for five or ten of those, I'm gonna throw to the running backs for the other five minutes of those. So my cues are constantly working drops, they're constantly working the hip flips, they're constantly working the balls being thrown. During those periods, another great thing that you can do is is go to your janitor, go to your, uh, go to your principal and say, I need five trash cans. And what we can do during our walkthrough times is is I can go out early and put those five trash cans out there and say, all right, Q, anything inside these cans is the box. You're not worried about inside the box. So, and then I just move those QBs around. One of them is playing quarterback. The other ones are on the other side of the ball. And I say, all right, you move out and you come down. Who's the D-gap player? And yeah. He says it right now. Then I change the look and say, all right, who's now the D-gap player? So I can simulate the different coverages without having a full defense on the other side of the ball with just my my six quarterbacks that I have in my, my room. Um, something that else is really good that I've started doing here recently is I will – call a formation and call a play and tell one cue that he's the quarterback. Everybody else, you have to pick the receiver. You have to pick a tailback spot. And that forces those guys to know the exact routes, know the exact depths. So we'll just kind of jog through. And that that kind of loosens us up before practice too and say, all right, let's run this play. And I snap it and I see them all moving. So they know where everybody's supposed to be on every single play. So those are three things that I would say uh, that kind of separates us from, from
0: most folks. Now you you mentioned indie drills and it reminded me of a tweet you sent yesterday and I think you know where I'm going to go with this. Um but I thought it was a very poignant, and but accurate tweet to a, to a especially I mean really to a point is is you you pretty much expressed your dislike for agile bags or step-overs and practice for quarterbacks. Do you want to kind of expand on that thought and like why 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 you feel that way?
1: All right, two things. Number one, I like to stir the pot every time. <laughs> okay, so I knew that, that this was a touchy subject because a lot of us get stuck in our ways, mm-hmm. and, and especially in this coaching profession. One thing that I've kind of learned is is we do that because we've always done it that way. Well, that is a horrible way of thinking, in my opinion. You've got to evolve. And, and if I'm still teaching and coaching the way that I did it in 2012 and it's nine years later and I haven't changed it all, if I haven't evolved in any kind of way, then then uh, I'm hurting myself and I'm hurting my players in my opinion. The other thing is I played quarterback. I played the game, and I teach quarterbacks to play with their entire foot in the ground and to not make big high steps in the pocket because I can't plant and make a throw. Anytime I'm taking a big, tall step, that's time that my feet, my base is up off the ground. And a lot of quarterback coaches now are teaching different than they used to teach. So when I'm going over an agile bag, you may be training uh, speed. You may be training agility. Well, at my level, if I'm having to train a 20-year-old agility, then I recruited wrong. I did some bad work <laughs> as a recruiter, and I shouldn't have to train speed drills to a quarterback. Yeah. I shouldn't use my 15 minutes of indie to work speed training for a quarterback. And, and, and so all the other positions, you ask all your other position coaches, None of those other guys are teaching speed drills or agility drills. They're working a specific jump cut, right, that is very specific to a play. They're working a six-inch step over a pipe. So um, I don't want to teach a speed drill to a kid that I never want his feet to come that high off the ground for a play. A lot of the guys that responded gave me the Peyton Manning play. Well, Peyton Manning played 19 years in the league had one play that he stepped over somebody. So if you do an everyday drill <laughs> based off of one play that happened over a 19-year time yeah. period, I think you're wasting a little bit of time every day. So that's where that, that tweet came
0: from. All right, no, that's perfect, Coach. Um, Now, I, I was reading an article today. Uh, it was one of your former quarterbacks at Bethel. Uh, I'm probably going to mispronounce his last name. Castronova um, was talking about you and the influence you gave on him. Um, and I wanted to kind of hit on, on two things in there is, is they he mentioned in that, in that article that you streamlined prep for your kids in terms of, they didn't have to watch an entire game. It was, here's the coverages, here's the tendencies in the film that you need, you need to worry about. This is what you're going to get. And at the same time, I've kind of looked at things some things, and you, you break down coverage a little differently. Do you want to expand on how you prepare your kids and kind of how maybe you attack coverages a little differently, at least to teach your quarterbacks?
1: Well, it kind of goes with how we play the game. And because we're a tempo-based team, what I've learned when you tempo and you're successful in tempo, you eliminate a lot of what the defense can do because they're so worried about getting a base call in the game. So what I've come to find out is if, if I'm playing fast and having success playing fast, I'm not going to get all that funky stuff that you showed on tape that much. I'm going to get uh, your base coverage. I may get your second and third call. So what I try to do for my quarterbacks is that that one coverage that you've shown five times in a five-game breakdown, I'm not going to show them that. And I'm just going to hope that if that coverage happens, uh, your progression took care of it, your D-gap read in the RPO world took care of it, but I'm not going to over-prepare them for something that's a 6% or a 7% off of tape. I'm going to prepare you for the major percentages. The the coverage you play 40% of the game, they're going to know that uh, up and down. The coverage you play 20% of the game, they're going to know that. They're not going to know all the little bitty, tiny percentages that happen in the game. And what I do is I try to make those guys cut up and I send it out to them on Sunday night. And I usually try to test them or quiz them on Monday or Tuesday based off of those specific coverages by formation. Um, Because because the former educator in me, I like to test, right? So I over test those guys uh, throughout the week.
0: Now, when you're quizzing them, what does that look like? Is it a piece of paper? Is it a... You film and you're calling them out. How do, you, how do you approach testing them in in the classroom, film room, whatever you want to call it?
1: So our two major ways to do tests are, number one, if you're a huddle team uh, like we were at Bethel, I would make a 10-play cut-up and I would put the questions inside of huddle okay. where I would ask some specific question about, all right, who's the D-gap fitter here or what covers do you expect? against this formation here? Uh, What's the boundary safety going to do against this formation? Um, Those type of questions where it's not too much, where a kid's not going to have to be on huddle for an hour or an hour and a half. It may be a 15-minute, just a quick quiz. But the other thing that I've kind of fell upon is I think almost every computer nowadays has this thing called snipping tool, where I can cut and paste off of the video into a Microsoft document and I can then ask questions based off of that picture. So when they come to the meeting, they may have a picture test because quarterbacks are visual human beings. They see the world in visuals. So if I just give them a written out or a fill in the blank test, it doesn't help them as much. So I give the cut and paste um, picture test and say, all right, what does a stack mean? What does uh, different levels by the safety mean? And I'll show pictures of those things. Okay. And um, so they see those all throughout the week.
0: Perfect coach. Um, how, I mean, I, I did love one of your stories from the clinic about you adding pistol in your, in your offense, just despite your, your defensive coaches, which is great. But how, from a, from a, I'm always curious about this, especially for guys who like to condense their verbiage, use a lot of one word calls and high tempo. How do you best, or how do you recommend, especially high school coaches who want to add RPOs and tempo, um, and you still use formations, um, to add running back alignments into their systems? Is there an additional word say like trips right and then a number or letter? How do you think is, is the best way to, to condense verbiage so you can move your running back around? Because that's something I've seen a lot of coaches struggle with and then calls get too long or it it cr- kind of locks landlocks you in when you're trying to go tempo.
1: So that is a phenomenal question um, because I've worked at places, um, I've, I've worked under people that, that overcomplicate exactly what you just said, where I feel like I've got to label everything. It may be far and near, it may be plus and minus, it may be A and B, I've, 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 I've seen so many different things. And as simple as this is, I've heard a lot of guys just look at me uh, with cross eyes when I tell them this. We do it by week to week game planning. Okay. So on a Sunday, I'm going to tell that tailback. Any inside zone concept this week, you're in the pistol. Oh. And that whole week, it's pistol. And then the next week, I may say, all right, this week, just to mess with them, we're going to go offset inside zone. <laughs> so I never call it in the – it's just how that game's going to be. Okay. And then on the sideline, let's say I may, may have to change it during the game. At halftime, I may say, all right, now – Tellbacks, all of our insides, all of us go offset now. And I put it on them, and what you figure out is so many times early in my high school days, I was like that. I felt like I had to label everything. But when you put it on the players, they actually learn the whys and the game planning more. You handicap them if you have to tell them every single call so when i say hey guys we're going to go to pistol this week because it's going to slow their run fitters down then they go oh i'm going to help slow the run fitters down by getting in pistol every time we go inside zone so they feel like they're more part of your game planning that way and they learn more
0: that's perfect coach i that's i love that i, I really do now in my in that kind of same question goes for the formations too because i know you're a formation guy and um what, in your opinion, what's better to just name each formation or to have a base and tag everything? Like, cause either way, I mean, cause there's two ends of one coin amongst perspective is tags. It can get pretty wordy at times. Yep. At the same time, formations, you'll have 8,000 formations. Now, obviously you're not going to call those every week, but still it's yep. a bunch of formations. What's better or how is there a way to balance that?
1: Here, here's another great question as well, because I get frustrated with so many different offensive coaches and staffs that feel like they have to have a name for every formation that, that is under the sun <laughs> and they never use them. Yeah. So for us, I have a name for every formation we're going to use. Now, this helps us out. The same way I treat the tailback, we treat our hback. So if our hback say we're in a two-by-one set mm-hmm. and our hback is to the field, That is the same exact formation as we're in a two-by-one set with the H-back to the boundary. So our H-back lines up based off play call. And a lot of people, like I said, they look at me cross-eyed when I say that. I say, hey, if I call power to the right, where's the H-back going to line up? Oh, to the right. So why do I need to create two different formations that's just adding more words on those players to know? So for us, that may be deuce. Deuce means two-by-one. And then the play call tells the fullback where to line up. The play call tells the tailback where to line up. So I can essentially have four, I think it's eight. I think I can have eight different formations just by calling Deuce. So yeah. we just tell our receivers where to go. So that helps eliminate so many different formations by doing that. Now at the same time, we still have about thirty formations. <laughs> we don't yeah. have we don't have eight hundred formations. Yeah. But uh, we, we eliminate so many different formations by doing that
0: with our fullback and fillback. That's perfect, Coach. Now, speaking of H-backs, fullbacks, whatever you want to call them, um, how, I, I have this conversation with, especially like defense coordinators in, in my area, and, and one of my buddies is a hardcore believer in this, and I'm kind of with it. How can high school coaches use H and fullbacks better? Because it feels like high school, co- it, they're just underused at our level. They're just glorified guards half the time. They're not. They're not moved around well. They're not involved in the passing game where you could easily hit RPOs or just short flat routes. How in your in your recommendation for somebody who wants to use an H back better, where 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 should they start with it? Should they look at?
1: Where I would start is go to your wrestling team, and I would find the one of your best wrestlers in your high school because that guy's got to understand leverage with all that he's got to do for us. He's got to block out defensive ends. He's got to arc release or gear release defensive ends and block second-level players between linebackers and safeties. But he's also got to have good enough hips that he can run routes. So my recommendation, uh, the best one we've ever had in, in, in my system and, and, and for us was at Arkansas Tech. We had a guy that was a state champion-like wrestler. And when I got there, he was third-string linebacker because what a lot of high school coaches don't want to do is that kid is is an alpha male type line. So they're trying to play that guy at pulling guard, or they're trying to play him at Mike Linebacker. Mm-hmm. And you don't have another one of them usually. So if you've got a defensive-oriented head coach, he's going to have a tough time letting that kid go to play H-back. <laughs> he wants yeah. that guy playing Mike Linebacker for him. Um, so that's what's tough on us is trying to recruit that guy. So we're going to go in a room tomorrow, actually, and watch eight H-backs all over the country. And no one uses them, just like you said. It's either a 180-pound guy that we go, all right, can this kid add enough weight to play H back at our level, or we're gonna watch pulling guards, we're gonna watch uh, big tailbacks, we're gonna watch Mike linebackers. So it's it's that difficult for us to find them as well because nobody uses them, just like you said. But um, it that is the key to this to this offense. I'm gonna be honest with you. Yeah. If we don't have a dominant H back, our offense is not that good.
0: Well, that, that's a conversation me and my head coach have had this offseason is finding... I'm like, we need to find a solid guy at that position. It's so underutilized, and they need to be able to do a lot of things. And and we and to your point, we have one or two wrestlers that are probably going to compete for that spot because they're not big enough to play line for us, but they're they're competitive, and they're going to scrap with people. Um, uh, absolutely.
1: Now, He's got to be a tough kid. He's got to be willing to hit somebody in the mouth.
0: Exa- exactly. Now, I, I kind of want to hit on a couple more things before we go, coach, and for um, first, uh, you you spent some time in the Big Twelve, so you you've seen some of the three high safety stuff that has, I don't know, spread amongst college football and and probably parts not really the Midwest too much high school football unless you're talking big really big schools, but still like southern especially Texas you'll see it. How do, what are your thoughts on it? How do you like to attack it? I I know you can't give me the wheelhouse here, but do you do you think that there's some natural weaknesses that maybe people don't realize?
1: So uh, we kind of prided ourselves on this in our first year at Kansas. We played against Iowa State. And one thing that I would recommend, if you're looking at the three high safety looks, go back and watch the 2019 Kansas versus Iowa State game. I think we hung 35 points that day on Iowa State and lost in a shootout that day. Um, but in a short version of my opinion, you have to treat the middle safety as the Mike linebacker because that's what he is. And, and they do not – the defensive coaches in the world are, are losing it right now when they heard me say that to you because <laughs> they've been hiding that information from us. That guy is the Mike linebacker. Yeah. They don't want to admit it. But if you do not count him in the box, you don't count him as a box player, he will have 17 tackles against you That. And as soon as he gets a pass, read, he's a free uh, a free safety in the middle of the field. So that's the, the the conflict. So any RPO, he's a mic. Any play action, he's the mic. Any straight drop back, he's the free safety. So um, okay. I have to understand that. I have to understand that piece when I go to game planning. I have to understand that when I'm coaching my quarterbacks. I have to understand that when I'm trying to scheme up what run plays I like. So that day against Iowa State, we blocked that guy with our offensive line. A lot of people try to go block him with a receiver. He never gets there a lot of times if that guy's an aggressive guy. So we included him in our box count.
0: Perfect coach. That's, I mean, that's, that's perfect. I don't got anything smart to say after that. Um, now I, I remember from your RPO stuff, you, you, you mentioned how you're, you'll switch. If you're getting a lot of man, you'll switch to your man beaters and and you showed off a couple good ones at your clinic. Um, is there any zone – is there any adjustments to paint on the zone, whether you get Rip-Liz match, which is – I mean, or to read. Is there any any particular adjustments, any particular complications for some base RPOs that people might need to be aware of when they're teaching them?
1: Any version of man messes with RPOs. So if yeah. you're a, a 14 that plays man corners on the outside, it's going to mess with that outside <clears throat> RPO because I'm not going to get I'm not going to get space. You're just throwing a 50-50 ball, whatever you scheme up. Um, so when you're talking Rip-Liz match, Rip-Liz match is not – is going to be really good against RPOs. You don't want to run D-gap RPOs against single high man coverage plays. I, I hit it in the RPO kind of clinic the other night as well. Of uh, There's some things I can do with motion that get corners to play off coverage, whether it's with a bunch set or a stack set. It could be quick uh, in motion, quick short motion. Yeah. It gets off corners. So things like that can mess with that that man corner like look is getting in those stacks bunches or short motion as well but what we try to do is we do just enough plus one runs which is our quarterback runs to try to keep team that's out of man coverage uh, so it opens up uh, the full playbook there
0: um, we in, in your opinion if you're if they're a high school team or a high school c, who's not adapted to RPOs and is trying to for next season, but trying to incorporate in what they already do, where should they start? Because as our game evolves, people are, are dipping into it. And I think some people have, have, have done enough studying and kind of know where to go. And others have like, okay, I got, I got an idea. But where should they focus on how to add it to their system?
1: I think there's an iTunes book written by this guy named Brent Dearman. I <laughs> think like twenty nine ninety nine. Um, and maybe you could, uh, Google research, find that, but no, seriously, I would say know who you are. Yeah. I'm going to figure out what I want to be up front first. Everything starts up front. If you design an RPO for the pass, then you are failing. You're going to fall flat on your face. Your quarterback's going to get hurt. It's not going to be successful. You got to figure out what your O-line, what you want them to be, what you want scheme-wise them to do. And then you build out from there. But in any RPO that you do, your quarterback better understand it. Yeah. He better understand the blocking scheme that's happening in front of him. He better understand what gap or what man. So I know a lot of people run man RPOs where they read just a specific man, which is different than what we do. We read a gap. But he better understand exactly why and know every answer to it. And if, if you can't answer those two things when I ask you about that RPO, if, if you don't know what you want to be, and you don't know how to teach that quarterback exactly what his answers are, then you're not prepared to run RPOs yet. But once you can get to that, then then um, you've you really helped protect that quarterback, and you're ready
0: to go. Speaking of, of that that author that you mentioned, I, I believe the book's called The Evolution of the RPO. The uh, link link will be in the bio along with his coach uh, coachTube links. Um, <laughs> um, and then and then I got I got I got three quick last questions for you. Um. It, it, it adding tempo in one word calls. Um, how, how do you think coaches should do that it, by families, by keyword, like how, how would start there? Cause I think that's always a misunderstood subject as well. So this
1: kind of goes back to that math teacher. So everything that I do, I work at a file cap, And if that, that, if that kind of helps you mentally. So for us, uh, RPOs may be states, so when I go to that RPO file cabinet and I pull it out, I better see state names as my folders in that RPO group. So I can go Alabama, Texas, Carolina, okay. uh, California. So that can put things into a drawer for, for my players. Quick game for us. Quick game may be um, NFL teams, Falcons, Saints, Seahawks. So I try to categorize it in that kind of way. So that quarterback understands that that drawer. And when I do it that way, let, let's, I'll give you this example. Uh, for us, uh, for verts maybe California. So any combination, anything that has to do with verts is going to be in the state of California. It may be angels. It may be um, Dodgers. It may be uh, Rams. It may be what, something to do with the state. And if I can put things in, tubs in that kind of way, then it helps my players to play faster and to understand it better.
0: Um, the last two questions is, is we, we had a brief conversation about explosive plays before we came on here. Not, that was a different subject, but how much do you actually look at your own explosive plays or try to figure out explosive plays on that opponent and see if any of that stu- stuff matches what you do at, and kind of make that a focus of your uh, game playing that week? All right, so,
1: so I'm going to try to answer both of those questions the best I can. The first thing is we're built on the explosive play. Our players, when we come back, when, when we're going over uh, base, when we get our first meeting, they're going to get a goal sheet put in front of them. And one of our five goals is we want to have 10 explosive plays a game. And, and here's where we kind of fell into. A lot of coaches – Say a uh, 12 yard run is an explosive and 15 yard pass is explosive. Well, I said, screw that. That takes too long to figure out. Our kids are going to try to be counting up on the sideline. So for us, it's 15 yards. If you get a 15 yard run or a 15 yard pass, we count it as explosive. Okay. Explosives are momentum plays. Anytime I get a 15 yard play or more, it's a momentum changing play. So we build our offense based off of that thought we're going to try to get momentum-gaining plays the entire game, and we're going to get 10 of them. We want 10 a game. And if we don't get 10, uh, we usually lose. If we'll, The games we normally get 10 explosive plays, we usually win. So that kind of hits that how we do it. We build things off explosive. Now, if we watch an explosive cut-up. One of our coaches' jobs is to make a cut-up off of all the 15-yard gains from our cut-up from our breakdowns that we're doing. And what we do is we all individually watch that cut up, and we say, "All right, did they? Number one, is this explosive because someone on the defense just messed up? Because if they just messed up, then I need to throw that play out. Yeah, somebody missed a tackle. All right, that play is not really an explosive. Somebody just missed a tackle. Is somebody out of their gap? Is somebody mess up with with where they're supposed to be rolling? All those plays are thrown from the cut up as soon as we see that." And then we get it to, all right, how did schematically, how did this play get an explosive? And if it was worth it, that that explosive, um, we can replicate it, then we may try to put it in. But I'm never going to try to put in more than two or three plays off another team because I, I want our kids to understand that we are, we're based around what we do. We, okay. We're not going to be a copycat uh, offense. We're not going to be a grab bag offense. of trying to recreate all the other teams that that are in yeah. right now breakdown. And – what you find out about defenses is they usually get those things fixed. If they, they see somebody attacked it and they see weakness. Yeah. They're going to try to get that fixed on that Saturday or Sunday. And,
0: and then my last question for you, coach, before I, I go to wrap this up, um, when you, and obviously that these have not been like necessarily a two normal off seasons, uh, unfortunately. Um, but when you, when you're in your off season mode, what does that look like in terms of evaluating your offense Reaching out to people and maybe stuff for you to look at. Who do you reach out to? Obviously, you're uh, you you have a good relationship with Coach Mileson and several other coaches around college football. But who who are you reaching out to? What are you looking at? How do you self evaluate? On, on a normal year,
1: I I think you're you're kind of in two phases, and we're in phase one, and we're starting a brand new offense. We're installing a uh, first year of a scheme. If you're in the first year of putting in your system, you don't need to Zoom clinic with anybody. And if you do, you need to keep that information to yourself. Write it in a notebook, <laughs> put it away in a file folder, because right now, your main job is to put in your base. And for us, that's what we're doing. We're putting in our base, and we're not trying to implement something that's outside of our base right now. We made Zoom clinic with somebody, and I'm going to put that away for a later date. But if the more I try to cloud up my base in year one, I'm just confusing my coaching staff, I'm confusing my players, and we're not gonna be very good. You need to put in who you are in year one. Now, once you go into year two and year three, you need to clean it with folks that are like you, that are in your tree, that, that do similar things to what you do. Because the more, the further away you branch, the more confused you are, all right? So um, I'm I'm probably not spilling too much information, too much things, but uh, 2019 Kansas early on was a combination of 32 personnel, less miles LSU, and air raid. And those two things are the farthest two things you can get on the spectrum if I'm looking at the football spectrum. And um, it become a grab bag a little bit. And, And what I encourage you guys is don't be grab bag. Be who you are clinic with folks at Who You Are. So this offseason, I've been able to get with uh, Chip Kelly at at UCLA. And and we talked a lot about tempo and and the tempo that he was doing at Oregon. Tempo that he's trying to do at UCLA as well. And and trying to see if we can improve even more on our tempo. Um, Been able to get with Ohio State and talk about um, their dropback concepts and how they categorize dropback concepts. So um, And seeing if we can bring that into what we do. Because if it doesn't marry up, it's great for them, but it ain't great for us. So that's things you got to ask yourself. Maybe it works for them, um, but it it doesn't happen to fit for you.
0: You actually made me want to ask one more question, and, and I don't mean to add more to this, but how how do you? And I, and I I think this is a question that doesn't really get asked. And how do you determine who you are when you're building something? If you're if you're a coach that likes a lot of things, but how do you end up? Is is it personnel based? Is it philosophy based? Is it just what you know? How do you end up like? Say, if I'm a coach, this is who I am.
1: You hit it a little bit right there. It's it's. I think you can run your system of what you feel good and comfortable teaching. So um, you, you, you brought it up already, inside zone, power counter, and buck sweep. Why do we do that? We do that because that's the four systems and four concepts that I feel the best teaching. No matter what front, no matter what covers, no matter what we're going to get, is I can coach those things in great detail. If you're not great at coaching something, then don't put it in. If there's holes in, in the way that you coach it, then that means you are not uh, great at that concept. So it's a little bit of what you know as a coach. Um, like for me, I'm, I am awful at mesh. I don't <laughs> teach mesh well. I, I fully don't always understand where the pistol ball is supposed to go in mesh. Because I'm not from the mesh tree, so we are not going to run mesh. Doesn't mean it's not a great play. It just I'm not a great teacher of it, so I've got to figure out what I'm a great teacher of, and then I can kind of mold my my concepts based on my personnel. So for if I've got a running quarterback, instead of running true inside zone, I'm going to more run more zone read. Uh, I'm going to run more power read. So. You can fit your players can kind of fit in your system, but you can call it based off of your players as well. So it's a little bit of both.
0: Coaches, um, as, as I've kind of already said, and, and as we joked about, uh, coaches not only will his Twitter, so give him a follow, will be in the bio, um, but a link to his book and to his coachTube stuff. I know he's got two coachTube's he's put out, and I think one with Lauren's uh, first and goal that um, goes to, a lot of that goes to charity uh, down below. Um, make sure you check out our sponsors and affiliates below um, like subscribe and um, share this so coaches can hear more of coach here um, and then as always thank you everyone for your support uh, that was in our episode of the gap down backer podcast